Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to the Legendarium. Today, Craig, Ryan, and Todd get together as the Legendarium Brain Trust to preview Mistborn and talk random geek news. Welcome to the Legendarium. Let's introduce our small panel here. You know us, you love us. Uh, on my right, his hair is so gray, it would make the Death Star jealous. It's Todd Wenty. Wow, that was painful. And on his right, he's so nerdy, Stanley once told him to get a life. It's Ryan Bruckman. Woohoo! And I'm so suave, I may be forced to change my name to Rico. My name is Craig Hanks. Welcome, you guys. I, I like that. I, I like win. that suave. Yeah, that's good. I'm getting more of a Carlos Danger feel from yes. you. <laughs> well, I mean, that that works as well. Um, you know, Rico Suave was only cool for about 12 seconds. So, hey, go for it, buddy. Yes, but Taco Grande <laughs> will last forever. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I pity you. I pity you. Uh, so, how are you guys doing this week? Good. Good. Yeah. Not as good as you wish. What? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What I meant was, I don't get it. I'm no smarty. Uh, but you are suave. That's true. You don't have to be smart to be suave. You just have to like comb it's a your good hair thing back. It's, like it's a good do. thing you're pretty, right? Oh, it is. It, wow. you know, it really is. It, it's gotten me through a lot in life, actually. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, my my pretty face and my you know, like extra twenty pound gut. Has gotten me, you know, through a lot of doors. There are many women who look at you and go, I know I could make it a winter through him before I'd burn everything off. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say you made through a lot of doors, not necessarily in the direction you wished. (laughs) We were getting there. We were getting there. Um, This is going to turn into a terrible therapy session for all of us. I I feel fat We need to bring back back Dr. Matt Woolley pretty soon because uh, this is not going at all well. (laughs) Um, so this week, the original plan, we were going to go through the entire first book of Mistborn. We're not now because nobody read it. Okay, but not for lack of trying. I know. Not for lack uh, of trying. Words are hard. Um, right. It's it's all about my phone running out of power in the middle of a chapter. (laughs) Dang, son of a... No, um, but we will uh, we'll do a little preview. I mean, uh, Todd, you're, this is your first time through the book. And first time through the book. You've made it through uh, the first quarter or so of it. Ryan and I have both read it. Um, I, this is my third or fourth time through it. I just finished it again um, for the podcast. And for so. me, the interesting thing, uh, I told my wife that I was I, – I've been a little bit secretive about some of the things that we that we do here, not because I'm afraid my wife won't appreciate it. But, but, but because she misses the kittens. She may not appreciate it. Um, she, <laughs> she doesn't always appreciate that uh, – that I have uh, extracurricular activities. Um, but I, I told her, yeah, I'm, I'm reading this book for this podcast. And she said, what book are you reading? I said, Mistborn. And she said, ooh. She said, she, she's read it then. She said, I'm on book three. Oh. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's, there's some conversation that's been going on around the house yeah. about some different things. It's kind of like um, 
so Ryan, you're a huge uh, Doctor Who fan, mm-hmm. and if if I, you know, I'm in season three, season two, or season three right now, and I'm sure that if this were a thing for us, I could come or I could like call you on the phone and be like, okay, dude, I just watched this episode, and you oh want to dissect it, you know, every little bit of it with me because you know it so well. Same thing. I mean, it's the exact same thing as uh, Lord of the Rings. But maybe mm-hmm. to a lesser degree. I, you know, I sat there and watched Ryan read The Lord of the Rings with much delight. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, anybody uh, who's listening to this who has already read Mistborn knows that Todd is in for an excellent ride. I'm and enjoying it so far. Yeah, so. It's, it's a wonderful book uh, and an even wonderfuler series. Um, you totally had me thinking there of the, uh, like, we're going to have a moment. Or the podcast, like all of us show up in a, a, a phone booth, not uh, like like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Turn everyone, guys, <laughs> your whole excellent thing. It's a total tangent, but you know that's that's my charm to to this. <laughs> I have no response except Ryan, to want to watch Bill and Ted now. Ryan's charm is charming, but late. <laughs> yes, very late. <laughs> Should have just gone when I first thought about it. Um, I will say this: as you make your way through Mistborn. Um, this is something that I, almost everybody that I talk to remarks on when they read the book for the first time or the series as a whole, and that's that he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have a uh, a tension breaker at the end. You know, it's mm. all crescendo until you get to the last page, and then the book ends. You know, with with the exclamation point. You know, and the same thing with the series. Like, you get to the series and you're 20 pages away from the end and you're going, there is no way that he can wrap up what he needs to wrap up. That, was, that, was, that was one of the things that my wife mentioned when she was, when we were talking about it. She looked at me and she said, which book are you in? I said, I'm in Miss Porn. She said, oh, <laughs> it just ends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, I said, I've heard that a couple of times already. And she said, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened to me. Yeah, but there's there's one other book series that does something similar, but fails terribly, miserably at it. Um, in the Hunger Games series, where just all of a sudden, like, yeah, it just cuts, and all of a sudden we're trying to resolve Especially the, everything. the end of the second book, where they like pick her up and the like they save her, and that's the end of the book. Yeah, what the? you have that, and then the end of the third book and everything, which I'm sure at some point in time we'll we'll hit on these. But uh, the difference is, is probably because Br- Jennifer Lawrence is in them. I'll hit on anything with Jennifer Lawrence. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Rico. Rico suave. <laughs> suave. No, I think that, uh, I think that uh, Brandon Sanderson does a fantastic job of when you walk away, go, you can sit, look back and go, wow, that, that worked. Holy crap, that worked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's, uh, there's a reason that I tell everybody who is even slightly inclined to read a fantasy book that they need to immediately go read Brandon Sanderson. He's, he's the best. Currently, mm-hmm. I think he's, he's the best out there. I'm I'm very impressed, um, and I've and I've read uh, I've read a lot of different authors. Um, I mean, I, I read a lot of fantasy authors when I was. I, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, um, but I you but read I, your share. I read a fair share. Um, I I spent a lot of time reading Piers Anthony for a little while. <laughs> um, loved Piers Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent some time. Uh, I spent I spent some time reading everything I could find by Ursula K. Le Guin, mm. um, uh, Joe Hadelman for uh, Starship Troopers, Jerry Pornell, uh, some really interesting, and those were more sci-fi than they were fantasy. 
Um, but you, you, you get a lot of writers that will be in both, in both genres and work in both areas. Um, I read the white gold wielders, uh, series. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I am not. I can't remember for the life of me the name of the author for that, but I but I read you know everything except the Shannara books. Everybody read the Shannara books when I was around, and so I. That's weird to me that you haven't read the Shannara books. Uh, it was it was merely a question of time. Yeah. I saw the size of the book and I compared that <laughs> to my calculus book, and I said if I have to memorize one thing this year, it's going to be calculus. Yeah, I guess that um, makes sense. And calculus stood me in good stead. I never had to take a language when I went to college, so <laughs> I will and I say, didn't have to take calculus. I will say this for the Shannara series or Shannara, I guess as Terry Brooks Is it calls Shonara? it. That's how he pronounces it. I don't think he really cares Whatever. one way or the other, but. With the Shannara series, uh, yeah, there are 20-something books in the series, mm-hmm. you know, and if you just look at those numbers, it could seem very Robert Jordan-esque, yes. but it's not, because they're all divided up into their own little trilogies, their own little one-offs, um, you know, it, so there are these little chunks, yeah. and and so you can say, all right, I'm going to read The Sword of Shannara, or I'm going to read The Elfstones of Shannara, which I think everybody should start with. Uh, and if you don't like it, you you know, for some reason you don't like his writing style or the story or whatever, you're fine. You've got a good story and you can move on your way. Or you can just take one of those, you know, one of those trilogies. Uh, versus with Robert Jordan, it's like, oh, I, I didn't much care for the first book, but I want to get to the end of this story. So exactly. I'm going to read all 13 exactly. other books, you know. Well, and then, you know, the same with um, uh, Terry Pratchett was a lot that way. Mm-hmm. Um, all 44 of them. Yeah. Oh, all. <laughs> and uh, the Dragonlance. Dragonlance was nicely put together because, and I read a lot of the Dragonlance uh, books when they were first coming out. Um, and they they weave together nicely, but they're they're broken up enough that you can come in and you can walk out. Um, but boy, the the way that they've morphed into this universe all of their own, that's yeah. well, astounding. So to bring it back to uh, to our Brandon Sanderson here, I one of the things that I started loving him for was his one of his first books was Elantris and it's it is a marvelous wonderful standalone which is a strange thing to put next to a fantasy novel fantasy novel mm-hmm. it's it's one book and it tells a cohesive story and then he leaves it there same thing with uh, uh, Warbreaker I think it was the one I'm thinking of Anyway, the Mistborn series is a little bit different. You know, it is a trilogy, much more, you know, in line with uh, a lot of other fantasy stuff. Thank you, but that's, Yeah, thank you. But that's where he left it, you know, eh, more or less. <laughs> it's a it's a one cohesive trilogy there. But now he's announced this new series and he's published a couple of books in it already for the Wave Kings mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, was, what's it called? The the something something trilogy? The, something not Slayer. the Kingkiller Chronicles. <clears throat> is that no, that's Patrick Rothfuss. Anyway, but he's announced this new series. Stormlight Archives. Stormlight Archives. And it's going to be 10 books long. And all of these books are, you know, 1,300 pages. And it's, you know, it's just this massive thing. And I'm That's going, just tiring even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I think to myself, I loved everything else that he's written. I, and I know that I would enjoy this, but my word, do I really want to invest that much time and energy in you know that big a fantasy series i'm not sure you know it's go ahead sorry somebody sitting somebody listening to this right now is yelling into their their pod ipod or whatever yes yes you do (laughs) yes you do can i tell you why i haven't yet i've i've had a a problem i listened to the robert jordan series most of it anyway on uh, my audible account 
you know, when I was living up in the Seattle area, Seattle's notorious for traffic. I was sitting in traffic for at least a half hour a day, usually more like 45 minutes, just getting to and from work. So I was like, all right, I'll start Robert Jordan. And I put on these books and they're all 30 to 45 hours long. Wow. Yeah. And they're all narrated by the same two people, Michael Kramer and Kate Redding, you know, and they're wonderful. They're very good at their jobs. And anybody, you know, who's looking for some good narrators, they're it. They're very good at it. But with Robert Jordan, by book seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, I'm just completely done with this. And I've been listening to these people's voices for hundreds of hours. Then I put on, uh, I put on Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. And who's narrating it? Michael Kramer and Kate Redding, you know, because he, I think because he finished the Robert Jordan series, they were kind of, you know, tied up with him a little bit. So I'm listening to this and I got about an hour into it and I just realized I hadn't taken in anything that I had just heard because my brain has been trained to gloss over these people's voices. So, yeah. so I'm going to have to actually sit down and read this one instead of listening to the audiobook. You know, and that's an, that's an interesting, um, it's it's an interesting development and maybe this this is way off topic but i think it's interesting to note that in in history throughout history most of our fantasy stories most of what we would call fantasy um started as myths started as um that's myths with a th not s um since we're talking about mistborn um but they they start as myths they start as things that we tell uh as stories that we tell and then they morph into things that we write down and in the writing they change and then we've gotten to a point now where once again we are doing them in auditory fashion um and again we embellish them so they've left from where they were in the beginning and they've become something very very different because of our availability of technology i find that interesting uh when i think about this process i i would have to think about that more before i ventured into that at all (laughs) I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? About life. Was that too intellectual for this podcast? I, you know, I hate, <laughs> I hate intellect. It's it's just that intellect. You know, if you think about it, it's just not very suave. Um, <laughs> and I'm all about being suave, suave. If you all could see his hair right now, you would. You would know that I'm not lying. You would question. You know, you know what it is. I have to. I put a, I put a crap load of stuff in my hair early in the day, and then it all kind of gracefully falls out for my date with my wife tonight. You know, so you guys, you won't be very jealous, but your wives will be very jealous later. Keep telling yourself that, Craig. I will. I will, and I'm going to tell the world that as well. Yeah, you just so, did. You just did. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, do do we have anything more to say to preview uh, Mistborn? Tell me, yeah, um, especially you, Todd, because this is your first time through. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention before we move on to other stuff? Uh, my initial my initial reactions to, and I'm 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 struggling here. Um, hold on, just a moment. Let's see if I can get that to stay. There we go. Uh, maybe not. This will be this will be fine. Sweet. Um, my my initial reactions when I started reading the book, um, there there were there were two things so far that have that have really stood out to me. One of them is that it feels very much like he is trying to make some social statements, um, some political and economic statements mm-hmm. that um, that I find very interesting because the uh, it feels very much like it's a resp- uh, a response or a. Uh, uh, a reflection of 
the financial disparity that we see here in the United States, that we see in lots of other places around mm-hmm. the world, where the distance, uh, the economic distance between those who have and those who do not have is widening rather than shrinking. Um, and a lot of those things are very, they're very political. They're very hot topics. Um, they've been very hot topics in uh, academic and financial circles for, and political circles for probably the last 10, 12 years. Um, but I'm not sure that they are, uh, I'm not sure that they're going to make me fall in love with a fantasy series. So I find it very interesting that he's using that as his backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it'll be fun. Um, thieves exist in all environments. We somehow have the, uh, this group of thieves that we are, uh, glorifying that somehow because of the disparity, we, I, I guess it makes them more romantic, more, uh, more noble. Uh, and I'm interested in that. It's, I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes. Get kind of the Robin Hood and his merry band of men feel from it. The, the Robin Hood and the, um, um, there's another, there's a television series that I've been watching, uh, continuum where, um, it's very much about, uh, revolt against the corporations and against those who are greedy. You know, we're, we're, I don't know if you knew this, but anything that is called a corporation is out to get you. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've learned this from watching movies good uh yeah. I'm, I'm glad movies have helped you so much understand corporations yes is this a good time to tell you that i own stock in several corporations <laughs> um I, I i find that very interesting um it, it has a similar kind of a feel that uh the common people are persecuted because of the greed of corporations and that gives us the right to hate all people who are better off than we are yeah as i was reading through this again i i uh... I found myself asking a few more questions because I think the last time I read this book, I wasn't quite as politically aware or involved as I am now. Um, nice. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Very good sound effects. Sorry. I, I like it. Should we just pause and let him tighten his microphone? No, I think you should try and do it as, as much as a ninja as possible. No, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good now. I'm just going to use my thumb to hold this in place. Um, anyway, I, I don't remember what I was saying just a second ago, but I will say this. Um, oh no, yeah, I, I'm, more, I'm more politically aware now. And so I see what you're saying, you know, things will maybe not get turned on their heads, but you'll, you'll have a couple of paradigm shifts as the book goes along. The beauty of something like this, of it, if you do it well, it's beautiful. If you don't, then it's sad and pathetic. But <laughs> the beauty of doing something like this is its applicability to every audience. So as a, for instance... Uh, you haven't finished this book yet, but you have seen Captain America 3, or 3? 2. 2. Captain America Captain 2. Captain America 2. The Winter Soldier. Something like that, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, one of the great things about Captain America is you would think, you know, well, you know, he's Captain America. He's not going to play well with a, an anti-American audience overseas, right? He's, it's all about Rarago uh, US, but it's not. But they do it so skillfully that if you're not um, if you're not paying attention, it washes over you, and that's okay. But what they do is they set up in in Captain America Two, Shield as this huge multinational um, or supranational corporation, for lack of a better better word. It's all about defense of the Earth versus outside threats, and uh, or and stability they, of the Earth. Yeah. And they gain too much power and they must be taken down a notch by the common man or whatever it is, you know. Uh, if you are in the U.S. and you're, you know, you're kind of raised in a 
in a uh, traditional American way, it's very easy, easy for you to paint that as, oh, hey, that's something like the UN or NATO or, you know, one of these huge uh, international organizations that seeks to kind of cow the U.S. and take it down a notch. Um, if you are a European or an Asian, or if you're an American who's kind of raised with those political leanings, it's very easy for you to go and look at S.H.I.E.L.D. and go, oh my gosh, it's the U.S. military industrial complex. Yeah, it's the CIA. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. NSA. And so the, that's the beauty of doing a story like that is you, if you are a skilled enough storyteller and a skilled enough writer, you can make, you can manipulate your audience to make them see yeah. whatever they want to see. Yeah. Right. And thus they enjoy it. They recommend it to their friends and everybody goes by and buys tickets to your movie. Right. And one of the things that's really interesting about, um, you know, we, we've we've talked in we've talked in this environment uh, before about there's the, the concept. There's only four basic storylines. Um, I thought it was seven or seven. I thought, or well, whatever. no, hang on. Was it 36? <laughs> um, but but no matter how many they are. Um, there are certain pieces of, of backdrop that are pretty consistent and the feeling of an individual challenging um, the, the David versus Goliath, the, the, the insurmountable mount, might of, of, of an organization, mm -hmm. the individual against an organization uh, is a, is a fairly consistent theme throughout a lot of fantasy and the tools that we use to tell what it makes that organization so much bigger is the questionable piece. And in this case, he's using one part finance um, to tell the difference between the David and the Goliaths. And that's, that's, it's interesting. I can't wait to see where that one goes. Yeah. If yeah. it goes. Ryan, do you see any of this stuff? I actually, there's a, a different piece to this that kind of popped into my head while you were talking about it, about uh, appealing to several different audiences. There are moments when a storyteller realizes this is not going to work with audience X. And sometimes they, if they have the ability, time, money, things like that, they will alter the story to fit that audience. I'm speaking specifically of Iron Man 3. Oh, gosh. Yeah. 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 Uh, if you think back, that they had a whole cut done specifically for their biggest donor, China. China. Ooh. You know, China paid for a good chunk of Iron Man 3. And so let's make sure that it's, you know, appease our, our, our audience here because there's no way they're going to be happy with, you know, the Mandarin. He wasn't even called the Mandarin. Uh, in yeah, that he was. It, it, well, but but he was he was called the Mandarin. But it turned out the Mandarin was this uh, you know impotent fraud, right? I'm an actor. Um, hello, nice to meet you, <laughs> Ben Kingsley. The man <laughs> can do anything. No, but they they actually there was something different about the name that they did. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they did something different with the name to try and make it less, uh, even a little less. Um, Less of a slap in the face to yes. the Chinese population. Right. Or, Thank you. My voice is already going, so. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, on that point, you could take uh, the new iteration of Red Dawn. Did you guys see that? Oh, it was. Uh, yes. It was something. Um, Where instead of instead of Russia, it was well, North Korea? The, it, y you would think. You know, well, yeah, actually, yes, it was North Korea. You would think it would be the Chinese. You yeah. Know? And that's actually yeah. how they originally filmed it. It was a Chinese invasion. And then they thought, oh, crap, we're going to have to actually sell this in China. So they gave everybody different names. And, and they had already filmed it. They'd already, like, filmed all the lines and everything. They just swapped out China for North Korea. Thank you, Kim Jong-un, for giving us someone that we can make fun of because you never watch our movies anyway. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> 
I know he listens to the podcast, though, so... Uh, I- I've heard that. I've heard that, actually. Yeah. I just want to let you know, since you're listening, Kim Jong-un, I saw the video of you in the lubricant factory and how happy you were, and I'm glad you found something that brings you such Wait, joy. Wait, is that real? Yes. Are you serious? Oh, excellent. Go watch... Oh, um, I need to see this. It's on the... I think it was last week's uh, Colbert Report. There, they show a video of him in a lubricant factory. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the only time on video you get like this huge ear-to-ear grin. He's staring at this uh, vat of lubricant that's being poured out. Yeah. And, this, and the worker next and you, to him... And you just know he wants to jump in. Yeah, and the worker next to him is like, if I don't do this, I'm going to be killed. Is he a Mexican? Is that... I'm sorry, I... The, even they hire migrant workers from Mexico. <laughs> Wow, the podcast just went into a dark place. <laughs> Welcome to racism, everyone. <laughs> I'm just saying, your accent it sounded Mexican. I know. I don't have enough voice left in me right now to uh, to really do any justice to any oh, anything. Man. We're all bad people. It happens. So the other thing in Mistborn that I'm really looking forward uh, to exploring a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. I'll save you for the money on that one. Um, is uh, is and, and we were mentioning this a little bit earlier. Uh, is his approach to the magic form? Oh yeah. Um, I've I've in in reading um, in in reading fantasy, um, magic is uh, obviously a staple. Um, but the question is always where does it come from and how is it used and who gets to use it. Um, and in a lot of a lot of environments, you have to show some kind of talent for it. You have to have some kind of innate ability, um, and that's that stays pretty consistent. And in this particular case, it is also uh, consistent. There has to be an innate ability, at least up to this point in time that I've seen. Uh, there has to be an innate ability to use the the magical forms. But um, his approach to using um, how much of a, how much of spoilers are we okay with on this? Oh, that's fine. Go okay, ahead. his approach to using metals uh, that are consumed and somehow metabolized within the individual to set up heightened states of being and of sensitivity is really really interesting. Um, very different from what I what I read when I read David Eddings. It's com- it's it's the most original form of magic that I think exists in fantasy literature Uh, most fantasy literature revolves around spells um white white forms of witchcraft um the things that the things that we had from uh from old fairy tales and from J.R.R. tolkien um that are that are mystical and mysterious um that are that are built from uh druidic backgrounds druidic cultures druidic histories um but his Sanderson does a very different t- twist on this, and it's cool. Well, that's the thing about it is it's uh, Ryan. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not a twist. That's uh, one of the reasons I love it so much. Is it's completely different from any other form of magic. Am I wrong? I mean, I, I, I don't, I say I don't see any, anything like this anywhere else. I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't say that it's a different form of magic because. I agree with you that it is its own beast. There's a reason he doesn't call it magic. He calls right. it alamancy. Right. Um, the other thing this does <clears throat> is it introduces a something to me that I have yet to really find in a fantasy novel with magic or with a this ability to use an alternate power. And that's the idea of there being a finite amount of magic or of this. I mean, admittedly, he's using metals and they're fairly plentiful in the world around... But we do know that because they're burnt, they're consumed. It's not a renewable source of... It's oil. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, that would be Dune. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but it's you know we've got this these abilities that people this have. This is not sustainable. That it well you look at um, I don't know I'm pretty sure they've already talked about it but the eleventh medal. Yeah. Yes, they have this this idea that there is some some ability that's so rare that it's so hard to find and but it's going to be the key to everything, right? Right. You know it's. I think it's an interesting take on it because not only is it a different approach to magic or to the to giving people superhuman abilities, um, it's it, also it finite. Almost, it has like a it, it has a sort of scientific tinge to the magic, right? Yeah. There's there are very uh, strict laws surrounding his magic, making it feel you know more like a science. And laws have to exist to make magic workable in a story. If you if you have unbounded magic, you have You've written yourself a blank check to get out of any situation. Yeah, you've got to get out of jail free card that allows you to insult your your readers by saying, "Oh, I've written myself into a corner, and now magically something happens, and I don't have to explain it." Woohoo! Yeah, and that's that is a form of uh, a, a part of the the difficulty that exists in writing any kind of fantasy novel, uh, especially a, a fantasy series that's going to to rely upon a magical form. Um, you you have to be very clear in what those boundaries are going to be if you want your audience to feel like they are not being uh, treated poorly in the process. And uh, not only, I'm going to tease this a little for you, Todd, not only is this form of magic completely original, it's not the only one that he introduces. Ooh. He's just trying to make me read the books faster. I really am. I really am. Well, anyway, um, do we should we leave Mistborn for the moment and uh, let's go ahead and head explore into some other somewhere else? Uh, sure, Ryan, I'm do you have that. anything you want to talk about? Anything you wanted to bring up, or should I dive into my Groot stuff? Bring up your Groot things, and we'll see what that uh, yeah, spawns. Right. So I was I was recently um, uh, tittering about uh, FoxNews.com because he actually was tittering too. By the way, it's yeah, well, hey, they allow you to do that at work. They do. They do. They, it's frowned upon, but uh, I mean, I'm not fired. But it's not. A, it's also a protected class of activities. <laughs> In HR, you are allowed to do to titter at work, but only when there's no customers around. Um, so <laughs> this was not at work. Uh, everybody at work who's listening in. Uh, I was at foxnews.com, and you know, on the front page, they have, um, of course, a huge list of all these articles that they want you to read. But the ones that everybody's going to pay most special attention to are the ones with the little photos on them and with the catchiest headlines and so one of them is a picture of Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy yay Groot we all love Groot um and the headline was something like um uh, is is a walking talking plant person possible well of course I'm gonna click on that what are you you know who this, wouldn't click on that this one is, this is total click Sean Hannity would click on that one <laughs> So, I mean, I, I clicked on it, and it turns out it, it was nothing but clickbait. But I, <laughs> but I want to I wanna talk to you guys about this because of how, uh, you know, how ridiculous this is. Um, oh, let's see. Guardians of the Galaxy bizarrely blends the plant and animal kingdoms. No, it doesn't. Groot, a walking, talking tree, seems to defy nature, but how outlandish is the idea of a plant-animal hybrid? And then they, you know, so they're setting you up. This is what drives me crazy about... Um, about uh, re- should we call it like regular people culture versus like 
versus normal. We're normal, right, nerds? Versus normal people culture. I'm, I'm in. They, uh, they, they try to rope us in with this clickbait, and they give us this opening paragraph. They're like, oh, maybe it's not so ridiculous after all. Maybe you'll get your lightsabers and hoverboards. <laughs> and then they just give you an article all about how uh, it's completely ridiculous and photosynthesis doesn't generate nearly enough you know, uh, energy to get a plant to walk around. And how stupid are you? Says the professor from Princeton who I quoted for this article, you know, anyway, I, I just hate stuff like that. So it's it, like plant sight and plant hearing. Do plants see, do plants hear? No, but they do sense things around them. That's why plants lean toward the light in the window in your kitchen. Shut up. We all knew this already. Ah, I hate these articles. This is the moment when you turned to yourself and went, yeah, but I clicked on it. And I yeah, totally I did. On it. I'm such an idiot. Oh, and what else gosh. is at the bottom? Oh, At the bottom of this article, there are other neat pictures. What else is there? What a new skinny pill that's causing doctors to, cause all, to have all sorts of problems? Groot does more than just sense and communicate, though. He also moves around. His woody best friend... Oh, this woody best friend to a talking raccoon shifts around on mobile stumps. They said woody best friend? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, these... Yeah. These are evil right-wingers. You can't expect too much out of them, right? <laughs> right? Anyway, it's just... I So I, I feel like... Um, I feel a victim of, of uh, stereotyping when I read something like this. Like, of course I was going to click on this, you jackass. Well, and, and the, the other thing that they're betting is that there's going to be a whole bunch of your friends who are not... Uh, born of normal people and, and in a normal culture, nerd culture, um, who are also going to look at it and who are going to then use it against you later on. How stupid was that talking tree? Exactly, moron? exactly. And my response to those kinds of things is always, really? You wasted your time writing an article on something that I <laughs> knew was make-believe? Wow. What did you do when you watched the Mr. Rogers show? I mean... I, now, what? I will have you know that I not only took the time to read it, I took the time to go down to the comment boards and show people where they were wrong. Oh, I'm gosh. sure you did, Ryan. Right. I'm sure you did. Yeah. So with with something like this, it, it does... I do like it when, uh, say, a scientist, for instance, has enough uh, imagination to take a look at a lightsaber and go, huh, you know, I wonder if that is possible. Do a few calculations and go, you know, it's either not possible or certainly not possible for us now. And then move on, Right. That's fine. I'm fine with that. But where, you know, like this article just, it made me feel like somebody went to some scientist and was like, the scientist goes, I hate those movies because they make people think that we could ever make trees walk around. And that's so stupid. Anyway, that's all. I think that uh, for most of us in most of us in geek and nerd culture, we're, we are wise enough to be like, yeah, it's cool, but we know we know that we're not going to create a tree people. And besides, he's an alien race. That's you know that's your right off there. We're not going to be able to create it. He's an alien race. But I, I wanted to bring something up about Groot since it kind of triggered in since, my mind. Since we are Groot, we are Groot. <laughs> oh man! You notice, ladies and gentlemen, I'm the only one that avoided saying that all through this exchange. I I did notice, and I hate you for it. <laughs> Go on, Ryan. So there is, there has been a major call, and I, I, there has to be some sinister plan in the works because I cannot imagine that they didn't see this as a major opportunity before they released the movie. The dancing Groot at the end. Mm-hmm. There has been an outrageous amount of support for getting that out as a toy 
for people to purchase or a collectible for people to purchase. My wife would never go out and buy me a Star Wars uh, figurine mm-hmm. unless I specifically asked for it. She would never do anything like that. But if they put that dancing Groot on a shelf, we will have two in this home. One for her side of the office and one for mine because she wants it. And it will be solar powered, so oh, it will run you know by photosynthesis. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's going to be like one of those, um, what was the singing bass? What do they call that? Big, uh, ma- big, big mouth, Billy. Big, big mouth, big mouth. Whatever. It's going to be just as annoying. My wife has a solar powered flower that dances in our house. It is a cute little flower that is already that has a little solar charge in front of it, and when the sun hits it, it bobs back and forth, and its leaves lift up and down. So I see the solar powered Groot dancing toy as a as as just a matter of time. It's uh, Christmas, maybe. Probably, maybe they're waiting and, for Christmas. And and I think it's going to and oh DVD release the, the Marvel the Marvel marketing machine um, is <laughs> not above finding a way to take more of your money. It really is not. They are an evil corporation, after all. Oh, that's that's true, actually. Um, yeah, and they don't know anything about ska. <laughs> yeah, no, I but apologize. they continue to sell. They continue to sell books and magazines to all of us. <laughs> um, if you if if that if my last joke didn't if it fell on deaf deaf ears, go read Mistborn before we do our next podcast. Um, oh, I get it. <laughs> did you not get it? I'm sitting here going, what in the heck does ska music have to do with this? I knew he was going to the music side of that one. Get out. <laughs> you're you're off you're off the it team. Took, it, once we made the Mistborn connection, I'm fine. I got it. But <laughs> my first thing was to turn to ska music and I was like Actually, the, funny story. So I, I read Mistborn uh, I think for the second time when I was just newly married with my wife and uh, we were in our first apartment. It was this little basement dungeon, and I don't use that word lightly. Um, bars on the windows and uh, I, I'm sitting in bed reading Mistborn she could not care less about fantasy literature I, and I, I don't I, I mean that literally she could not care less about it she looks over um, it doesn't uh, doesn't have any idea what the storyline's about just reads this sentence like you don't know anything about ska and uh, it was something like that I can't remember exactly what the line is but that's the line in our house now if uh, if you're doing something idiotic or if you say something and it's obvious you don't know what you're talking about, we still, to this day, we go, ah, you don't know anything about ska. <laughs> cool story. Hansel. I like it. I like it. <laughs> anyway. Um, cool. Well, uh, should we wrap this up and go to Comic-Con? Or uh, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? You know, there's there's one other thing, and maybe it's a, a bridge into a little bit of Comic-Con news. Okay. Because I am, I am the... Um, the overseer of all things Star Wars. Yes. Um, Harrison Ford, back to filming. So we are filming. We are in yes. principal photography again Woo. as of this week. Um, and and I'm not. I I have I have no doubt that there has been significant amounts of principal photography going on during Harrison Ford's absence from the studios. But anything that can drum up attention to what to what J.J. Abrams is doing. J.J. Um, Abrams has been has been doing a wonderful job, not just by instigating the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge uh, out to all people that were involved with Star Wars and with the Star Wars filming and such uh, as part of the as part of the raising money for ALS. Um, but he's also set the standard by which they can continue to keep everything in the public eye and still be able to keep their secrets while they're developing all of this to build more hype. It's infuriating, right? Um, 
you know, on one level, it's infuriating, but on the other, on another level, I look at it and I say to myself, you know what? He is a genius. He's a genius about making sure that we continue talking about something we know absolutely nothing about <laughs> because we're all so excited for what the possibility is. Um, we, when, when he, when he starts, uh, when he starts anything, everybody pays attention to it. And of course, then that always leads into a conversation of what do you think is going to be in the next star Wars? Um, Mark Hamill doing the ice bucket challenge. Did you see how he handled that? Uh, because there's such a drought going on in California, he did it with a dropper instead of with a bucket. He dropped, uh, I think six drops of water on his head and wrote his check. Um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, different things that, that somehow I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, there's a publicist that is connected with these guys and they've said, okay, if J.J. Abrams starts this week, then Mark Hamill, you do yours next week, and somebody else is going to do one next week, and we're just going to keep this going to ride this particular gravy train until we find another one that we can keep everybody talking about. There, I, And I think this is a precursor of everything that will happen with this film for the next year and, what, two months, year and three months? We're going to get little bits fed to us yeah. uh, like fish food on a regular basis. I think Ken is still waiting for uh, Gwendolyn Christie to do her ice bucket challenge. <laughs> Dude loves his Gwendolyn Christie. Ken is not here, so we can make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> and if Jolene is listening, we never said anything about that. Gwendolyn Jolene. <laughs> uh, I want to bring up one thing, um, just as a side note here. Last week, uh, there was a void of episode. It wasn't because there wasn't one recorded. Uh, it was because I went back and listened to my solo 30-minute review of the new Doctor Who episode. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, I bored myself with my recording. So. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was down and out with a wicked cold last weekend. So it was thought that maybe Ryan could go solo. I, yeah. I desperately tried, but I, I could do about eight minutes of interesting talk. And then I started to drone and drone and drone. And I was like, I, just, I, I can't do this. So there's... I've, I've got some ambient style episode <laughs> available for those who might need it. I can't imagine you droning, Ryan. It, it happens. It oh, happens. Man. Can I just say, so this is one of the things that Ryan and I argue about, and me and pretty much everybody else. So Rush Limbaugh, right? Everybody hates Rush Limbaugh. Not not the, uh, he, he's a pretty prickly pear, right? And I'll acknowledge that. If you subtract but, the lee pear, then I'm all with you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. But I've got to say, you know, uh, people who uh, who uh, speak out against, uh, say, Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck, I say, that's fine. You don't have to agree with what they have to say. But can we please acknowledge how good these guys are at broadcasting? Because he can just sit there and yammer into a microphone for hours. By himself. By himself. In, in a room. There, there, is, there is only one other person that I have ever seen that I am that impressed with by themselves in a studio room. And that's Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Well, he's not actually talking to himself. He's talking to many multiple parts of his personality and, you know, voices. I think I understand what you're saying and the voices <laughs> like you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, that's I don't know why I brought that up, but no, that's cool. That's cool. It is good to recognize. So I wanted to just take a brief second here and give you the shortened version of my recap there. Oh, okay, sure. Oh, yeah, please. Um, for I'm by this point, you have no excuse. It's been a week. I don't care about your spoiler problems. <laughs> As Todd just about ruins our microphone. <laughs> Spit take. Um, we're going to talk about the new... I just want to talk about the new Who. Um, Peter Capaldi. Here's my short version. The man is the doctor. And he is a very good doctor. He is not the doctor that you fell in love with, with David Tennant and Matt Smith. And that's a good thing. 
Was Matt Smith the one I fell in love with? I no, no, you he's haven't the seen Matt Smith. Weirdo. Yeah, he's the one who the way that he was literally described by Stephen Moffat is Matt Smith is like watching a clumsy cat who's sitting there perched and walking along and then all of a sudden stumbles somewhere and then stands back up and <laughs> nothing bad happened. What was the name of the first guy? This and this. There's Christopher Eccleston, Christopher Eccleston, yeah, that, David like Tennant, Matt Smith. Okay, anyway, and now Peter Capaldi. And one thing about this new Doctor in this new series that was touted a lot to us before the before the premiere was that this is going to be a darker Doctor. Mm. And everything's darker. So for you know we're all sitting here going, oh, we're getting a dark Doctor now. But one of the very first things that they made sure to do in this episode is a yes. There were some darker tendencies, but we still got everything that we love about the Doctor. The quick wit, the, you know, the happy side. And we got to see a side of regeneration that we don't normally see. Um, if you look at the regenerations that occurred. The left side. Yeah. No, I'm wow. sorry. Uh, if you look at previous regenerations uh, that we've had since the 2005 pickup, uh, Christopher Eccleston's regeneration into David Tennant. The entire episode, the first episode, David Tennant is asleep for most of it. Uh, he's passed out for a little bit there. When we get into Matt Smith, we get a nice episode to introduce the Doctor, but we miss the regeneration, the the moments after regeneration. He crashes his TARDIS, disappears for a while, comes back. This is the first time we've seen a Doctor directly after regeneration trying to figure out what's going on and just having issues and issues. His mind hasn't figured out what's going on yet. So for the first little while, uh, you get him calling a dinosaur, you know, big sexy lady and things. It's It's great. So... And uh, Peter Capaldi has attacked... I still call dinosaurs that, by the way. That's, Pe- I think it's because of my time travel. And and they address... One of the things that they do in this first episode is they spend a lot of time trying to convince the audience, and it is very apparent. They, they, don't, they don't bother trying to hide it. Uh, they're really talking to the audience saying, look, this is not the doctor you're used to. The whole gist of this episode is we're seeing through the eyes of the companion, like most of Doctor Who... This is not the doctor that you're the, that you're used to, but it's still the doctor. You will still love him, and he still needs you. There's a fantastic scene at the end that I will be kind to not spoil it if you haven't seen it. Um, that really, someone pleads with Clara to give this doctor a chance that he, to understand that he needs. And by Clara, we mean the audience. Exactly, this doctor needs you more than you realize, and. Um, I, I'm just telling you, Peter Capaldi can do the part and he can do it well. And he's got attack eyebrows and he's Scottish and he's ready to go. So there's a shortened review of the, the new Doctor Who for you. I will try to make it through the next five seasons that I still have on my plate. <laughs> and you know how I will feel about Mistborn. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, um, good. Let's uh, disband for a week. Um, if you are going to Comic-Con, and you are going to Comic-Con, I'm speaking to you. Yes, you. Not, yeah, you. No, you. Not, not that one. The, the one, the other one. Yeah, no, well, I mean, them two. I think okay. both of them. They're, Fine. Really? Okay, both listeners Fine. are going, you're going to Comic-Con, <laughs> uh, and you're going on Saturday at 1 o'clock. Uh, we're going to do our live broadcast from there. I'm expecting Saturday to be pretty packed. I am too. Uh, Comic Con. I, I don't know about our room. I I, I, I fully expect our room to be very packed as well. Just by virtue of they've got nowhere else to go. That was kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> we're in the, room one fifty one D. Yes, one fifty one D at one o'clock on Saturday, Mountain Time. Because you'll be in Salt Lake. You'll you will be that. in Salt Lake. Yeah, fly in for fly in for that. 
Um, anyway, we will be there, and we are, uh, we've got a topic ready to go, and we are going to razzle you and dazzle you with nothing besides our uh, magnetic personalities. And our autographs are only $4. If you want a headshot of me signed, I do that for 18 And Rico Suave is available for South American revolutions, bar mitzvahs, and birthday parties. And back scratches. And back scratches. <laughs> yes. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm beaming wow. my mental directives for back rubs to all of our listeners as we speak. Uh, so during Comic-Con, someone is going to come up to you and start rubbing your back, and you're going to go, uh, what's going on? And then I'm just going to remind you, you asked for it in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll see it coming. <laughs> I, I have, just see you curling up. Like, you'll just be like a cat. Like, I have a single eye on the back of my neck. I'll see it coming. Oh, that's I believe that, that is. It's with my third nipple. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> nice James Bond motive, no, uh, homage there. <laughs> uh, shall we? We shall. Yay! See, See you guys. at Comic-Con. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. 